So, um, hello everyone, and welcome to another session of Skits Up Podcast, which I think lately has been going on uh, at least every single day of the month. So, at least we're keeping to a schedule. So, um, today we have a very special guest, but se- first of all, let's uh, say uh, hi from everyone. So, today we have a full crew. We have Darren Wins, the Canadian. Say hi. How's it going, eh? Uh, we also have Frank Moradios or Les Doritos. Well, more Les Doritos. And say hi, Frank. Hi, Frank. <laughs> nice. I don't, and we have a very special guest today. He usually doesn't need any introduction because if you've been any time in this hobby, you know who that is. We've got Excel Power team pilot, Nick Maxwell. Hey, everybody. Hey, I just want to take say that right now. It wasn't my idea to say the Excel Power part, but I do appreciate it. Uh, <laughs> oh, no problem at all. I mean, it's uh, it's cool. It, it's not um, not that I'm that you know. I heard a little because you know that you know I have my SAV tattoo, tattoo with that, that. That's fine. You have a tramp stamp that says SAV Goblin. We know that. <laughs> all right, we'll, get, we'll so, get you converted yet, Javier. No, you won't. You won't. <laughs> no, it no, goes deep into the root. There's a better chance that he'll fly nitro than he will uh, fly for XL power. That he'll fly an XL power helicopter, even though they're pretty damn good. But. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not arguing that. Actually, I believe that today, you know, in my personal opinion, I think that Goblin and XL power are the two mainstream big brands out there. So yeah, I mean, for sure, they're they're pretty good. I mean, they came, they came from. Um, Practically nothing a few years back, and they've grown pretty quickly. So that talks that talks a lot a lot about the brand. Yeah. Although Frank, do we need to w- lay wagers as to which one would come first, the XL Power or Nitro? I don't. No, I would say I would say then uh, Nitro. There's a, there's a, there's a chance he'll find an electric if there's no one around him. But I think he, it's okay. But what happens if he flies an XL Power Nitro? Oh, dude, that's that's never gonna happen. No, pigs will, no. Pigs will pigs will fly before that happens. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you know, I hell, I, hell I will fly freeze a, over a black nitro, but that's about it. You know, Javier, you got to do it now, just to, just just because we've said that. No, he won't. He won't do that. That that will probably, you know, he's taking a break from flying this year. So that will, if he did that, it would be like, oh, it would just kill him. I just feel bad for him. Yeah, yeah, my my hands would start to melt. Yeah, <laughs> he he go back to fishing full time and give up on helicopters altogether. Yeah, yeah, I would sell everything. I you know if I if I ever betray the goblins, I would have to sell everything. <sighs> Fanboy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, let's get started with uh, our regular round of updates. So uh, Frank, why don't you get us started on uh, what have you been up to lately? Okay. Uh, did I talk about Heli Extravaganza on the last one? Or no, that was before, right? Yeah, we recorded before then. Okay, okay. So I I went up to Triple Tree Airdome for Heli Extravaganza. It was a great event, actually. I had a lot of fun doing that. Uh, great couple of days of flying. Got to see some pretty awesome flying. Got Broke my record. Actually, great that Nick's on here because I, he's helped me break every one of my records on my TikTok channel. Broke one of my records for most viewed videos of him because of because of recording him at the event. Cool. So that was really cool. Got to do some some night flying, which was nice. 
I got to hang out with a bunch of people. It was really awesome. Got to hang out with Rob and Devin McClellan. We actually shared an RV. I saw Nick there, like I was just saying, uh, and a bunch of other team pilots had a good time, both from XL Power and the um, Maniacs, Team Maniacs. It's awesome, gnarly crashing, dude. My my friend Jermaine that flies with me here dumped his Kraken Nitro into the pond, right? And oh. the night the night flying at those events, it's like that one was really good. There's like a handful of events where night flying really becomes a big big deal, like Virginia. Nick, you've been to you've been to Virginia. That one, you can say that one's pretty much one of the best for night flying for getting a whole crew of people out there at night. Yes, for sure, they get the most uh, activity for sure. Yeah, and this one, this one was pretty rocking. Like I'll be honest, like it wasn't as intense as Virginia and, or RCHO and stuff like that, but uh, it definitely was a good time for sure. I saw, oh dude, I saw my friend Devin destroy his like Glogo gasser. Oh, that was. That was confetti was coming off the air when I think boom stroke. I just, I felt bad, but wow, great crash. Hasn't he destroyed that thing a few times? He, he's, yes, yes, he has. He destroyed one in, in Virginia a couple of years ago, uh, last year. And Doug and Doug, they strapped on the heavy duty, the, uh, the heavy killer, that pipe. And he just destroyed it and Doug gave it, gave him, gave him his old airframe. And so he rebuilt it, uh, but okay. he, he's, he's been driving me crazy. He really wants to build an XL Spectre V2 Nick Maxwell edition as a gasser. So what else, what else, what else? Speaking oh, of heavy X, didn't I heard something about your name being spelled weird on your oh, name yeah, tag or something? Yeah. <laughs> they, they, the character deformation, I'm going to have to sue the whole Triple Tree event going. They they spelled it more Doritos, and they, it's less Doritos. <laughs> they need to get that correct. But, you know, I don't care. It was a good time. They did an excellent job on the event. It was It's a beautiful place, man. Like, I can't speak better off of it, you know. Uh, the food was good. The people were good. And we stayed at, we stayed at the field, so it was, it was a really good time. So... Outside of that, uh, just doing some flying, I got I got all the parts coming in this Friday to convert all three of my V2s into the, um, the Nick Maxwell edition. So that's pretty cool. I'm excited about that. We had a XL Power had an issue with uh, the tail shafts on the V2 and everybody, I was so proud, everybody jumped to it right away. Nick did a great job explaining it, and he wrote a nice write-up about it. And Raw was like hunting down materials the next day, so it was he was definitely definitely got on top of it. And those should be arriving to to hobby shops already, I think. Right, Nick? Yeah, yeah, I think Helidrick started shipping them today. So that was I was really proud of the way everybody stepped up and got that figured out really quickly. Uh, really made for a. Really, you know, mistakes are going to happen, but it's, it really boils down to the way you handle it when, when shit hits the fan, and it, it, it went out really well, you know. And other than that, I've guys, I've this is partially Nick's fault too, so he can you guys can send him the hate mail. I bought a sixteen IZ and a seven sixty, and I, Uh-oh. and I said it, I said it, and you know, and 
I'm still a very strong B bro, so let's let's make sure I get that across. But it's a nice system, and I learned some fancy stuff doing it. So hopefully, I just want to keep testing it to see what it turns out, and I hope to do a more of a review slash write up slash my own experience on it here in the next couple of months of testing it. Look out, Frank's going to the dark side. Uh, I don't know, man. It's it's it works well. It works well. There's a lot of things that I'm not used to. That I'm learning to that I'm learning why they're done that way, and it's really making me a, it's making me more well rounded far as learning to set up and just get stuff like that. There's there's stuff like on the V bar that you can kind of fuss around and kind of slack on the mechanical stuff, but on the Futaba stuff, if you do it right, it just pays so much dividends. Like like well worth it. Hmm. Would be interesting to actually try two exact same helicopters just different fly barless on there just to see it would be interesting well that's that. that was the point because i have two v2 electrics uh, yeah and that's why i have one on one and i have the v bar on the other so i'm looking forward to see how that pays off mm-hmm. but you know the thing that everybody was saying that it was so hard to program it really is not that hard if you if you sit there there's there's a few things you're going to run into and that happens with any any new system that you buy but it's it's actually now that I have it that I did the first one. I think my next setups will be will be super fast. Cool. Uh, what else? Oh, so this one, this one, Nick gets to blame for this one as well. I went out and bought some expensive machining tools, like really nice dial indicator and some and a nice uh, arm to like dial indicator. And it again, those those mechanical setups really do make a big difference, man. So I hope that. I get more more time to do more of those on my other helicopters. I'm rebuilding my nitro, so I really want to see how aligning the the clutch to get to uh, to minimize the amount of play. How much is that going to help me? And so, yeah, I'm excited for that. So, yeah, cool. that's that's been me for the last month. Nice. Wow, not bad, not bad at all. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, uh, what's been uh, happening then on the northern uh, on the northern portion of the world? Oh well, I've been doing a bunch of flying as much as I can. Uh, really enjoying the uh, the Spectre V two, and it, yeah, I, I so last time I had got it flying, but I had my old MKS servos from my T Rex eight hundred installed into it. I have since gotten my Theta servos finally, and I got them installed. And it was kind of interesting. I was getting a little bit of a weird head shake only in hover with the helicopter when I had the MKS servos in it. And it wasn't bad. Like I say, it was just enough to notice in a hover only. Everything else, it didn't affect it at all. And when I got the Theta servos in there, I got those put in and all set up. And first flight, it actually, that hover shake disappeared. It's gone. So I'm thinking my MKS servos are probably a little bit more worn out than I thought. So I think it's a good thing I bought new servos for the helicopter. Good deal. And yeah, only thing was now I am getting a little bit of... Uh, a tail blowout on it that I didn't think I was getting with the old servos. Now, it's possible I may just be 
getting more and more used to it, and I'm starting to fly it harder than I was when I first started flying it. So, yeah, I, I'm thinking, because I'm running it right now at about a head speed of about 1840 RPM, something like that. So I'm wondering, and Frank and Nick, maybe you can chime in whether or not I should get the, the speed up tail gear if I stick with that that head speed for an RPM kind of thing, whether I should get the faster faster tail. I'll let Nick respond to that because he probably... <laughs> He's probably he's probably tested it more times than I have already. So I, yeah. I haven't messed with the speed up gear. Speed up gear. I don't know if you have Nick. Uh yeah, I have. I mean, so when it when it blows out, is it making a a kind of a screeching like a a ripping noise, like the tail blades are laboring, or is no. does it just kinda, no? Just like it just silently moves. Yeah, yeah, and I I did change some settings on my V control as well. So I had my my endpoints set a little bit out, a little bit out of whack. So I fixed that and it doesn't blow out as much anymore. And I'll be honest, I got to really be incredibly hard on the tail in order to get it to blow out. So it's not blown out badly anymore. It has gotten better, but it's just blown out just a little bit now on me. If it's not making like a whining noise, like it's laboring and like the tail blades are stalling, it could just be since you did change servos, maybe that new servo wants a different servo arm length. You might try going in a hole on the servo arm. And that's actually what I already did. And that did improve things by mm-hmm. quite a bit. Like when I first put the the Theta, Theta, Theta servo in there, I used the same hole position I had on the old servo, which was actually an aligned tail servo is what I had in there before. And it was blowing out almost a full 180 degrees on one at one point. And then when I changed it to move in one hole and got the endpoints a lot closer to exactly what they should be, then it, it now, it blows out less than 90 degrees now. So it's not blowing out all that bad. And to be honest, I can deal with it. It just, I would rather get rid of that last little bit kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah, it should just hold. So, um, I'm thinking well, I might just try the speed up tail gear if I can. Yeah, yeah. If it's if it's still a servo torque problem or torque thing or mechanical setup thing, it'll just get worse with that speed up tail gear. So you'll know pretty quick. Oh, okay, okay. If you if you put that in there and then it it makes it worse, then obviously you're you're putting more load on the tail. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm running. What am I running? Rotor Tech Tails. 105s. What length? 105? Yeah, 105s. They, they should be fine. Um, mm-hmm. The one thing I, I tend to avoid, I run the lowest tear ratio I possibly can uh, because obviously that's a multiplier, right? So if your head speed, yes. if say you bog 100 RPM, uh, that's just that much more the tear rotor is going to slow down or speed mm, up. Yep, yep. speed. Yeah, and when I did that, I was the the head was bogging a little bit too. Yeah, so it's either so you can try that, you could try the speed up tail, but I think it's given them it might just make the situation worse. Yeah. If it makes the situation better, then it could just be go to one fifteens on a on the stock yeah. tail ratio too. Okay, i I probably could increase my head speed a little bit too if I really wanted to. It's at eighteen forty is what I'm at, but I've got a smaller motor in there, and it didn't really want to run really high head speed either. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it ought to just hold. Yeah, it yeah. should be no problem. 
So anyway, something I can experiment with. Otherwise, I'm really happy with how it's flying. The The new servos are doing good. I want to go and do a bit of fiddling and adjusting of that and just sort of play with it just to see. And But it's not like I'm, I'm not feeling like I need to. It's more I just would like to just play with them and just see what happens. See if I can notice any changes. So other than that, I was supposed to go to Edmonton for a fun fly a couple of weeks ago. And it would have been about a 14, 15 hour drive. And I got about three and a half, four hours into the drive and got a text message saying, yeah, don't bother coming. We're postponing the fun fly. Oh, wow. That sucks. Yeah, I was not happy due to weather. Well, expected weather. And yeah, I wasn't impressed. I'm actually kind of still a little ticked off. But anyways. So yeah, I ended up going back to my parents' place in Kamloops, which is where I was actually had stayed the night that night anyways and ended up spending the weekend with my parents, which isn't a bad thing. And I did get to do some flying as well that weekend. And then last weekend I went out... Or just this last weekend now, I went flying on Saturday and <laughs> I crashed my Logo 690. The, uh, was it dumb thumb or, or a mechanical failure? It was dumb thumbs. I was coming out of, I think it's, uh, what is it? I think it's called a candlestick maneuver from uh, in the F3C thing. You, you're coming forward a little bit and you go vert- straight vertical and then you let it do a tail slide down. You come down inverted and then f- go back vertical and then you come down upright again and, and do that a couple of times kind of thing. I'm not sure. I think that's called a candlestick. Is that Nick? Uh, yeah, so, yeah, they've got all sorts of different names for it, but that sounds. Yeah. So anyways, I came out of it in the vertical position and wasn't thinking and still had negative collective. So the alley starts rushing to the ground. And for some reason, my first instinct was to hit throttle hold rather than increase the collective. So I hit throttle hold. And at the same time, that's when all of a sudden I went, Oh, wait a minute. I should be increasing the collective. Well, that just killed the head speed completely. And I did try putting it back into thing, but it was slow start into full and motor on and it was slow start. So I shut it down again. Thankfully, it just landed in the really, really tall grass and it landed on its skids. So the only damage I currently see on it is just landing gear. That's it. Nothing else. I got away lucky. Yeah. Except I'm all out of landing gear on it (laughs) for it. Yeah, but that's not too bad. No, it's not. And I'm not going to be able to go flying next weekend anyways, so shouldn't be uh, shouldn't be down for too long. And I think that's about it for me. Other than that, not a whole lot. All right. I hear oh, you actually not... had something in the air, Javier. Yeah, I actually... Well, I have two major things that usually don't happen, you know, especially during this uh, hiatus season. Well, I actually, one thing, I attended one event, and another thing, I actually flew. But both things didn't happen at the same time. So um, 
I went to to an event uh, which is called the uh, Chi Town, and I keep confusing them because there's two events on the Chicago area. One is called Chi Town, one is called Chi West, and I always get them confused. Actually, I um, I uploaded a YouTube video of pictures and uh, and a few clips of videos that I took during the event, and I incorrectly put it as Chi West. And then the organizer of the event sent me a put sent me a message and told me, hey. If you've got the wrong name, so um, so yeah, I changed I changed that at least on the description of the video. But it was an it was an awesome event. Uh, you know the, the 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 crew there. I think that the crew from um, you know from Wisconsin and from Illinois are getting closer together. You know we are attending more each other's events, which is growing into a nice community. So that is very very nice to see. There are a few, uh, well, a lot of people that I hadn't seen in a while. Awesome flights. And, uh, well, I wanted also to give a shout out to Brad Anderson, which actually is a listener of the show. You know, one of the four listeners that we have out there. So I was really, really now? lucky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cool. With Brad, it makes four. So, uh, and also because, uh, no, five, because it was his, uh, his little girl was with him. So she's also a listener just out of. You know, kind of like a secondhand smoke thing, <laughs> because you know he goes in the car and he has his his daughter and he puts on the podcast. So it was funny because she said, uh, "Well, he said to her, hey, uh, you know this guy. This guy is the one that you hear on the radio when we're driving and I'm putting on the podcast.'" And she was like, "Oh, cool!" So that was pretty nice. The cool, very, we're very catching good up flights, to you know? free fall and heliheads. Yes. <laughs> Are you Steve Yoon? <laughs> <laughs> So uh, it was it was pretty cool. Uh, it was pretty cool. I I can't complain. I didn't stay a whole lot. I just took pictures and videos, and you know walked and you know talked around with the guys. But but it was cool. You know it was cool to be on the on the group again of uh, you know being at a, at an event. It was really really painful for me to not fly, but you know it, it is what it is. And you know next year I hope to be back on on full force. Uh, however, I did actually fly, even though I went a little bit rogue, because, you know, this year I decided I was not going to be flying, so I didn't pay my AMA. So, um, and that's why, you know, I, I actually didn't fly to the event. You know, I could have flown at the event, but, um, you know, if I had paid my AMA, because it was my an AMA sanctioned event, but since I did, you know, I couldn't do that. So I went rogue. Uh, there's a park, and that park is a park that I used to fly you know, let's say at the beginning, before I started getting into a little bit bigger helicopters. And, you know, when I got the 570, I decided that it was too big for the park. So that's when I decided to just uh, ignore going to the park and just go to the flying field. So um, this is a park that I, you know, if you look at my old YouTube videos, you'll see a lot of videos on this park. Because it's uh, it's one that has, uh, one of the houses has a happy face painted on it. So that's pretty. That's pretty cool. So you you're you're able to identify that park pretty quickly on my videos. But um, uh, you know, I took just one heli. You know, the small one in case in case I did crash. You know, it was not going to be as painful. But still, you know, I flew very very mindly. I didn't want to to crash it regardless, and I felt super nervous. You know, it's been months. I don't even remember when was the last time I flew, but. I took a look at my at, at my log and you know I haven't flown all year at least. So um 
So it was it was fun. It was fun to be out to 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 get at least uh, you know the the little four twenty body out. It it flew it flew well, although you know it's it's highly likely because I just haven't flown. But it felt it didn't feel like it felt last time I flew it. You know, if I felt like it flew smaller than it is, you know, a little bit more. You know, the controls for, felt a lot more sensitive, kind of like if I was flying a smaller helicopter. So uh, I I wasn't comfortable with the feel uh, of the heli. I wasn't comfortable with flying, you know, with my skills because I hadn't flown in so long. So it was, it, they were very, very mild flights. Uh, the third flight is actually the only flight where I attempted a funnel. You know, I didn't even att- attempt, not even a funnel on the first flights. But actually the third flight, I didn't, I didn't actually record it because there were a couple of kids that came towards me because they saw the heli and they started asking questions, which was actually pretty cool. You know, I got to explain to them, you know, about the hobby. I, uh, you know, I disconnected the the battery and I and I let them grab the heli and I told them, you know, about the components and more or less where to get started. You know, I always recommend the Blade 230S to anyone starting in the hobby. Because I think, you know, it was such a good experience for me personally uh, on that heli. It's so easy to fix and so inexpensive. And it's, it's, it's a very, I think it's a very good helicopter to start with. So I recommended that. And, you know, I walked them through, you know, a little bit of the hobby, you know, about this, the option to do a simulator, why you don't want to use an Xbox controller to fly a simulator. I let them grab the, you know, the radio, everything. So it was, it was pretty good. I spent a good, a fair amount of time with them you know, explaining them about the hobby. And then they asked me to do, you know, one final flight. So on the final flight, I had already done two flights. I felt just a tad more comfortable. And I wanted to, you know, to be honest, show show off a little bit. So that's why I, I attempted uh, my funnel. But, but you know, it everything felt so weird, you know, after so long, uh, after not flying. I really, really was not at all confident in myself. But I still had a good time. And to be honest, you know, being there in the park and having people come out to me and reach out, especially young kids, knowing that, you know, most of the heli hobby, you know, are older generations and we, we need to get, you know, new, new, new blood into the hobby. So that was, that was actually pretty cool. I felt, I felt good about that. Then, uh, I've been, uh, consuming a lot of, of YouTube videos lately. And actually, uh, you know, I mentioned the Blade 230S that I, I keep rep- recommending that as a, as a helicopter, but, the uh, Guskai S2, you know, keeps popping up everywhere. It seems to be like a good alternative, but I don't think that it can still beat, you know, the 230S because the 230S I think is three hundred dollars with everything included, and the Guskai, you know, is like three thirty I think, and you still have to buy a radio. So I don't know, but it seems like you know of the new breed, uh, new generation of helicopters that 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 seems to be pretty sweet. You know, if I if I wasn't saving up every penny to finish my raw, I would probably get one because it's a, it's probably a good idea to have a little heli to be able to crash and not, you know, feel guilty about it. So, yeah, that's, that's basically what I've, been, uh, what I've been at. A little bit of flying, which was good. A little bit of going to a fun fly. A lot of uh, YouTube watching. And, uh, you know, hopefully these, this winter hibernating season, I will actually be simming a lot. I plan to, to sim and start doing... You know what? Uh, what what people cl- call you know flippy shit. <laughs> uh, so um, I'm I'm trying to I'm I'm gonna try to start doing a little bit more 
of uh, kind of like a half period transition. That's my goal for for you know this winter simming season uh, to try to do that. You know when you're basically flying from left to right, you know you do a P row. And then you come back and start flying. You know, if you're going, you know, fast, you know, forward flying, then you come back and rotate and go back into tail, tail in and into tail in flying. So that's what I want to start doing. Uh, see if I can do those transitions and start learning them, so that I hopefully next year I can start doing that. And maybe, maybe, maybe start going into piraflips. You know, I'm I'm doing on I'm doing it on the same, but I feel like I need to first be able to learn those those half period transitions to be able to uh, to save the heli basically if something goes wrong. Be not not being scared into going into any weird orientation if I if a period flip goes goes wrong and be able to recover. That's basically the goal. So those are going to be my uh, my goals for this winter simming season. We'll see we'll see how that goes. So yeah, that's uh, that's it for me. So I guess it's now uh, the turn of our of our little, if I may say so, rock star to go in and uh, and Nick, uh, tell us a little bit uh, about what you've been doing lately. <laughs> well, since I think the last time I was on, I quit all my jobs that were like nine to five and am now flying model helicopters full time again, which is I absolutely love. And uh, I switched to XL Power Helicopters and am kind of in the process of moving the uh, Revo Blade Factory to my house here to do the composite work here at home instead of buying them from a, uh, from well, from Vic Campbell. Wow. And so that's been an undertaking. But other than that, I think that's about it. Going to a bunch of events, crashing a bunch of helicopters. <laughs> so are you actually making the blades then, or is he still making them just at your place? So all of the ones from this point on that will be sold, uh, I will have made here at the house. Oh, wow. Cool. Yeah. So I got a question for you. You said you're from Edmonton? No, I'm actually right close to Vancouver, BC, Canada. Oh, okay. You were traveling there. Then. Yeah, I was that- traveling to Edmonton. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, that that rang a bell because um, uh, Leon Luke was from there, if I remember right. Was it Edmonton or was it Calgary that he was from? I thought it was. I thought it was Edmonton. Him and Brian Maybe. Regular. Yeah, and Brian actually is back flying again. Brian stopped flying for a while. Oh, and really? So Brian okay, is cool. flying again. Yes, I actually flew with Brian a couple times this year. And, oh, that's uh, awesome. Yeah, yeah. He's not flying a lot. But uh-huh. he is flying again, yes. In fact, he's got a, what has he got? He's got a Protos Nitro, and he's got a Spectre, I can't remember if he's got the V1 or V2. I think he's got a V2 now. Well, cool. Well, well if he's flying. Him, so. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I can definitely uh, tell him that. He's, yeah, Brian's a fun guy. He's, uh, he's a lot of fun. He's been working on his uh, full-scale pilot's license again now, too. Oh, okay, cool, cool. Yeah. I don't think I've seen him since like 2008. <laughs> okay, yeah, no nope. long time. <laughs> he's he's become a big business owner and all that kind of a thing. So, oh wow, that's awesome. Yeah, well, cool. We could, yeah, but uh, yeah, he is back flying again, and not like I say, not a lot, but he is back flying. And man, it's lots of fun to watch him fly. I've actually got a couple of videos of of his flights on my YouTube channel, actually, from uh, what he's doing now. So, yeah. Oh, oh, recent ones. Okay, cool. Yep. 
Huh? From yeah. this year. Yeah, he was a great flyer. Him and yes. him and I know him and Leon practiced and flew a lot together. Yes, they did. They really did. So he was complaining about that at last fun fly that I was at to uh, when was it in July, beginning of July, he was complaining he's uh, doesn't he still you know, since Leon Luke doesn't seem to be back into it yet that I know of and that he knew of either, he uh-huh. doesn't really feel like he has a whole lot of guys to fly with right now. And so that's why he hasn't he's actually got a nice flying place literally outside of his backyard. Oh, but okay, cool. What has been happening, there's another local pilot here who also flies XL Power, Harvey Demon. Not sure if you know who that. Actually, you probably would have met him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Harvey's been going out to Calgary quite often to go and meet up with Brian. And gotcha. Those two fly cool. every once in a while and get together. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, that you said that, and those two names rung a bell. And I, I thought, oh, those are cool memories. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Harvey is Harvey. Actually, I've flown with a number of times too because Harvey lives right close, not too far away from me, actually. So. And Harvey is just, I don't know, out of this world right now. <laughs> that guy is far too good. <laughs> oh, that, cool. Yeah. We'll get him down here to the States for some stuff. <laughs> We're hoping to, that, you know, COVID rules for coming back into Canada are changing here, supposed to change here at the end of the month. And I don't know whether what the COVID rules for getting into the U.S. or whether they're going to change anytime soon. But I'm really hoping that a bunch of us will be able to do some U.S. fun flies this year. I wanted to go to Snohomish, and I just couldn't. It just wasn't going to work out with all the COVID rules and whatnot. So, Do you still have to quarantine afterwards? No. The biggest problem is the our Canadian government is requiring the use of this app called ArriveCan. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it has been absolutely awful. I have yet to talk to a single person that actually has had it work properly. And people have actually stayed out of Canada simply because of that stupid app. And, oh, wow. And the proof of vaccination status and all that kind of thing. There's been It's been quite the controversy up here in Canada about that. And so apparently the government is going to make that optional now as of the end of October. No, end of September, sorry. It's gotcha. optional, so we it should be a little easier to to come back come up into Canada now. So, which would be good. Hopefully, that means I can make it to Urchin next year. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, that would be great. Yeah, actually, I had a kind of an interesting thing with arrive. I went to Montreal a couple months ago. Okay. And yeah, and yeah, I had to to take a picture of my vaccination card and all sorts of stuff. It's kind of clunky. Yes, it was awful. <laughs> It was a little, a little like, hmm, I wonder if I'm doing this right. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of people weren't, actually, because <laughs> they couldn't oh. get it to work right. Oh, wow, okay. Yeah, yeah, it was it was that frustrating. A lot of people couldn't get it to work at all, period. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was, it was really frustrating. So, anyways, yeah. Well, cool. Well, yeah, other than that, that's about it. Going to a bunch of fun fly stuff, seven more events this year, so excited about that so nick is always very modest okay nick owned urcha this year he won everything yes like <laughs> yes he did he like he's not talking about that but he really did own everything he really did great in all the competitions and f3c f3n and in the battle of the brands he just he just demolished everybody like he did such a great job you can see that he's that's just awesome of you nick i'm so i'm so proud of you man it's 
Well, thanks. I know that well, can't be. I, well, I know I that can't be easy. Global, so. You know, it's funny because me and Ra were talking about that. He's like, you know, they're just different, you know, and still, still ending up in sixth place out of all the people that were competing there. And there was a lot of there's a lot of young talent that's that it's that's going on there. And there's also the culture of competing and heli events. That's a lot. It's a lot heavier in Europe and Asia compared to here, too. Yes, for sure. And and actually, it was it was eight years since I had flown in that, and uh, it was actually kind of really? cool. Yeah, yeah, it was eight years, and uh, it was pretty fun to go back. Though I I really enjoyed it. And after that, I said, okay, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> but now I kind of after I thought about it a little more, I think I really liked that. You know, the set maneuvers they did them low and close in, which is totally backwards compared to how we used to do it, and all other stuff. So. I think I, I think I might try it again next year. That was that was a lot of fun. Oh, that'd be awesome! Yeah, we're well, you're gonna do right. That's 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 just a given, you know. I didn't know that you you had been you had been that far eight years since you went to that competition specifically, or just competing well, in 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 Europe. Uh, well, I guess not technically that well kind of so it you know it obviously it evolved over a year it went from being the 3d masters to heli masters and then now it's 3d global and it's all just morphed like all the event coordinators kind of worked together as they were transitioning i think really but the format's the same the judging criteria is the same <laughs> interesting interesting yeah yeah so like when i was going it was 3d masters and okay then it, and then it turned into Heli Masters, and then from Heli Masters, it went to Global. Uh, okay. That's, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, you, things can evolve over time, and, you know, there are changes on it, so that's obvious. Yeah. Just yeah that... you, I picked your brain about this before and privately, so, like, what's, to be at that level, what kind of, what's your practicing regime prior to, like, preparing for these events? Um, so typically like normally for the world championships i'll just kind of the two months beforehand just pretty much dedicate most of the afternoon to that this year i tried something a little different i kind of jammed a little bit more close to the end and then i don't think that really worked i guess that's kind of like studying for a test i think I had some other stuff going on, and so at the at the last minute, I just did it all quickly, which um, I felt really prepared, but when I got there, I just mentally was a mess. Uh, I just couldn't focus. It had nothing to do with the helicopter. I mean, I was, I had routines ready. I just, I don't know. I guess it's just, <laughs> sometimes you get there, and sometimes you, you, you're in it, and the next time, sometimes you're not. <laughs> yeah, that, that happens, man. That happens. Uh... Yeah, yeah. But that's that's part of it. I mean, Kenny was super focused. I mean, he was you could tell in can, you know, they were they were super, super focused. C D was too. He had some issues, his batteries didn't show up. Oh but, wow. Yeah, it was, it was pretty awesome. Can can was kinda it was funny. He was sitting in the pits watching videos from like all the years before that. Oh really? Yeah, yeah, it was pretty cool. So And I would think at that level. 90% of it, you know, of the differences between the pilots is probably a lot of it is just mental anyways, right? As to who just is slightly there, just that edge, a little bit of extra mental alertness or setup kind of a thing, ready kind of a thing too. That's probably the, probably the, what, because I would think just about any of you guys could probably win that competition on the right day. 
it's just the difference between the mental prep kind of a thing. Yeah, for sure. Definitely can Kenny and CD were ahead of the pack. They were doing things, their flying styles. I I guess I should say they were flying, their flying styles were very similar in effect that they were flying in a box and doing really technical rotational stuff. And the other guys weren't doing all that kind of stuff. So I mean, yeah, it's definitely mental. It's your mindset, but they definitely were doing things differently. I don't think that anyone past third place really had a chance to win probably. Okay. Okay. In the set maneuvers, yes. The set maneuvers were very close. Okay. But the the music and the freestyle, those guys were doing stuff. It, it was just a very different style. And I guess that's where the creativity comes into play then too, I guess. Yeah, yeah. It, it's kind of interesting because can and cd are both from thailand so they're from the same country so they see each other flying same with vava the guy in fourth was also from thailand they they, <laughs> they, they make good helicopter pilots there for some reason yes they just they're breeding them um, <laughs> um but uh so they, they get to see each other fly a lot which i think is i mean i guess iron sharpens iron right so i mean it's kind of yeah 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 for sure so that was well, pretty cool. You know, uh, that that's uh, makes me think of, you know, conversation that I actually had with Brian Regular of all people this summer and that yeah, you really need to go and actually I've had this conversation with other people too. You you really want to try and get that ability to fly with other guys that are really close or same level as you in order to really try and bounce off of each other and like you say iron sharpens iron and and to really improve your skills in that way too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. For me, it was when Jamie and, and Kyle Dahl were competing a lot. I think the three of us, we've all fed off of each other pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah. I can see that. Did you fly it together off seat or, you know, out of ter- uh, competitions regularly though too? Uh, yeah. Fun flies. You did. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Not really at home, but we saw each other a lot. Mm-hmm. There was there was lots and lots of fun flies to go to. So yeah, I'm jealous with all the fun flies you guys get to go to all the time, man. Well, hey, I mean, yeah. you, you just got to swipe your card on American Airlines, or you know, when something you, you can join them all. <laughs> That's all it takes, man. Time and money. That's what. Yeah. <laughs> it's how we figure how to do it. Uh, uh. <laughs> Well, um, I did. I did learn how to go and pack my helicopters a couple of years ago, just just before COVID hit, because I was planning on going to Urcha for twenty twenty one. I think it was, <laughs> and I so I actually made a, a trip to visit somebody that uh, that is familiar to this podcast, uh, Eric Bertram, and made okay. a trip to go to Houston, and and got a chance to fly with him. And I actually that did that kind of as a practice on how to go and take my helicopter with me. I brought my logo 690 with me at that for one of those trips. And after that, the funny part is after that, I was talking to my boss at work about that and said, and I actually had borrowed a golf club case from Harvey and it worked fantastic. So I was telling my boss about this and I'm like, you know, I said, we could probably, and I was kind of half joking when I said this, 
said, you know, we could probably make use of a golf case for actual work purposes too, you know. And he sort of laughs it off and yeah, 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 you know. Well, a couple of days later, he sends me a, a text message going, yeah, Darren, um, you know that uh, tool case that we were talking about? I'm like, um, yeah. He says, yeah, go buy one. <laughs> so now I've got access to something like that for work. <laughs> Make nice. it even easier for me to fly with my helicopters. <laughs> Yeah, so, it's it's anyways. really it's not that it's not that uncomfortable, is it? I mean, it, it's no. not a huge yeah. No, it actually I was impressed. It worked really well. I I actually because I've seen how you do it. I did only just one helicopter in the case, mm-hmm. and I then I took my clothes and I packed all my clothes around the helicopter instead, and mm-hmm. that way I only you, had are, just that case. Are you talking about the video that Nick made about packing his uh, helis? I have. Yeah, that's a yes, that's a great video, man. Yes, that the, is. That's a your, fantastic video. Your level of OCD on in that video and the way you packed it is only I can only compare it to how you probably build the helicopter because it's just so meticulous. I'm like, I was like, I I can I strap two into my golf case as well, but man, you're just I really felt that my the way I was doing it was lacking. So I, I will be improving that in my on the next trip actually. <laughs> I don't think it's OCD. It's probably just after you do it 80 times, you just don't <laughs> used to. But yeah, man. Yeah. Uh, what other events you got planned for the rest of the year, Nick? I know you're, I know you're all over, you're, you're all over the world this month, right? In October. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, everything, uh, everything's domestic in October. So, uh, I'm going to try to go if, if the weather looks okay. I just saw that it looks like they may be getting hammered with rain on Friday and Saturday. So if the, if the weather doesn't look like it's going to improve, I'm probably going to stay home from Virginia this weekend. Okay. But then, uh, Reno for Jeremy Martin's event, uh, the week after. And then okay. I think I'm home for a week, uh, and then go to North Carolina for, the A-Main, the Jason Bell uh, event he's been mm-hmm. promoting. And then get home for a couple days and then go to Australia. And then um, directly from Australia, I'm going to stop in Japan for a few days. Cool. And then uh, get home and then two trips to Mexico before the end of the year and uh, rodeo. Yeah. That's awesome. I'll be at yeah. the rodeo as well. That's a, that's a good event. one. Yeah, hey, uh, Nick, I have to stop you right there. I mean, you said Mexico. Are you going to actual Funfly events in Mexico? Yeah, yeah. So one is in Guadalajara with um, his name on Facebook's Cappy Kyosho. He's one of the big hobby stores down there. And then the other one is a, is an air show that they put on every year. That actually has airplanes, jets, helicopters. They kind of just bring, like they're also bringing uh, Jace Ducia, the airplane guy from the United States. So. Nice, they have a, nice. they have a pretty, pretty big hobby market down there. I mean, huh, I, I, I didn't know that it was that big down there. I mean, I, 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 you know, when I was down there, you know, I, I didn't know. I knew that there's one place called San Luis Potosí where there's like a big park. And I know that they fly there. But, uh, you know, I didn't realize that it was actually big. And, you know, I thought that just like uh, people flew like all the lines every so often and, uh, you know, mostly planes. But I didn't realize that that it was actually big to you know have events and you know fly you down there and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it it would amaze you at all the different. I mean, the hobbies all over the place. It's yeah, just, it's 
pretty big, pretty big thing. Cool, cool. I'll have to next time I go down there, I'll have to contact you and I'll have to bring a heli and uh, meet some other uh, guys down there on the hobby. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Especially with Facebook and social media, it should be pretty easy to connect with some people. Oh, oh, you you can't kick over that rock, uh, Nick. Oh, this is good. This is good. Yeah, our yeah. our our glorious leader over here, Javier, has it has a fundamental issue with Facebook. So you got to hit him up on Instagram if you want if you want to find him. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, you'll you'll just have to email him then. Yeah. <laughs> All right, all right. Keep keep going, Nick. Oh, that, I think that's it. That's it. I, so glad, Nick, glad, glad to be back on. No, that's awesome. So, hey, Nick, let's talk about what's plan, what you have planned for the future here. And I think that you've been you've been kind of hinting to some things to us, and especially me, because you know, I I bother Nick on like the daily basis for questions about setup and flying and. I think he gets tired of me, but he's being really nice to me, so he puts up with it. But he's been he's been hinting to a few things, and I was wondering if we could talk about that on today's podcast. Yeah, that would be awesome. Well, I've got I've got several different. Um, obviously, right now the blades are are a big thing to get the factory up and going and coming out with more sizes and try to get some color on them and try to do some stuff like that. That the request that guys have been asking for. Also, just some other Nick Maxwell products stuff that I've been wanting to do, but either didn't have the time to sit down and do it, particularly OS engine parts. I know that Nitro is really coming back, so I've got some cool. stuff maybe, maybe coming out for, for OS. Steve Helms was a huge influence in my life, who was one of the main developers of the OS engine stuff. Unfortunately, he passed away in 2016. Absolutely could never have the knowledge that he would have, but it kind of hit me that it would be good to maybe try to produce some of the ideas he had that maybe... Uh, for the 105 that never got finished. So going to try and do that. Then I also uh, have collaborated. I, a lot of people have seen this on uh, Instagram and Facebook. Collaborated with HeliDirect to actually work on a project. One of my really good friends works at HeliDirect, Jason Russell. And so I had thrown out an idea to do a video. Um, and I think the name's already been thrown out there, but it's going to be called Behind the Build. And uh, this is a no secrets, no BS, no nothing video of building a helicopter so that if you follow these suggestions and these steps and everything in this is all something that you can get from Harbor Freight or, you know, Walmart, that your helicopter, you'll be successful with your 700 size helicopter. As I traveled around to a lot of the events, I see guys with problems, and I may know the solution, may not know the solution, but a lot of times, sometimes it's a QC thing with helicopter parts. All the manufacturers out there, you know, no matter if you buy the most expensive helicopter world and the cheapest helicopter in the world, you there's always going to be parts, variances, and tolerances and things, and so... The comment that has always been brought up to me uh, when I fly a helicopter or over the years have switched brands, specifically this hit with XL Power is, well, so-and-so can make anything look good. Yeah. And I kind of want to end that <laughs> and by, okay. showing, by showing people why that is. <laughs> so I won't go into all the details. Um, it, it'll, be a, it'll be a very long 
video that you can buy from HeliDirect. But literally, I, I go through 100% of what I shim, what I don't shim, what I look for for play, what this play does. Um, a lot of guys with fly barless, they get that death wobble at the end of a auto or something like that. So basically, the, the techniques to massage a mass-produced helicopter to make it work as if it cost $100,000 to manufacture and build. I mean, a lot of this stuff, you know, I think guys expect perfection from every company and every part, but for the cost that we're paying for these things, that's impossible. (laughs) Um, So if you really want 100% performance, it is within everybody's grasp with Walmart and Harbor Freight tools to to make that happen. Now, obviously, I know I I talked to you about getting the dial indicator. That definitely speeds the process up. Um, But in this video, I I don't even use that. I actually explain how to do it by eye as if you're at a fun fly and you run into a problem so really oh that's awesome and i can't wait to yeah see yeah i think the biggest thing for me so i'll, I'll be totally honest and, and i think the reason why we see this more nowadays is because everybody's getting better 20 years ago 15 years ago the level of flying there was only a handful of guys that really could put stuff through its paces Nowadays, as your flying progresses, or as your flying progresses, your building has to change to compensate for that. Makes, and I see, that, makes sense. I, see, I see that as one of the biggest frustrations is guys go out there and their tail hub flies off or their their rotor head wobbles and and they just think that maybe the top guy has something special when really actually his stuff is usually the blems that the company can't sell. Cause I don't want to, <laughs> cause it, they can't sell it anyway. They might as well get, uh, get it to the sponsored guy. Yep. Yeah, I know. I know. I know what so, that's like. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's, I hope this video kind of dispels some things like that and also makes it. So if there is somebody out there, specifically a young kid or something like that, that watches this and says, well, I really want to go fly at the XFC, but every 10 flights, my helicopter falls apart as I got to be a better pilot. This might help them. So this is going to be available for sale is what it is, and it's not going to be something that's available free on YouTube or anything like that? Then. It, yes, it'll actually be a product. So it'll be for sale. And the reason why is we actually brought in a real video crew. So it wasn't just like an iPhone in a shop. Oh, cool. um, that's why that's why I had to team up with HeliDirect and we actually hired a, a video crew to come in and they put a switchboard and they put different cameras. I mean, it was, it was the craziest thing I've ever seen. <laughs> That's cool. Really? And everything will be real high definition. And I, there, the video will have links to every tool suggestions to like, even just some of the stuff. I'll, I'll give one example, you know, sometimes guys, when they have, um, uh, screws come out or they strip or they say, Oh, the strip. So I just kind of explain how if I'm putting a part together and I feel something for six ninety nine, I pull out this cheap tap, you know, this three millimeter tap, you don't need the most expensive tap in the world. You're not actually tapping anything, but just by cleaning those holes out by running a tap through it, you're going to save yourself from a crash or something coming loose. Oh, interesting. Hmm. So stuff like that, how to align dampers, how to shim tails so that after three flights, they're not just sloppy again, stuff like that. And, which, and a way lot to put the, uh, which way to put the cage in a thrust bearing? <laughs> you know, that is an interesting <laughs> question. I don't know the answer to that. So from 
I've never actually seen a true engineering document that says either one is correct because I think that cage is technically floating. Yeah. I have no idea. So I, <laughs> the most common thing I've ever heard or seen is that you, you put the, put it so that the, the cup is inwards. That way it holds the grease in. I don't think it really matters to be honest. Yeah, I don't think it does. I don't think it does either. I, I don't see how because really the only thing that's you know actually rubbing against each other is the balls in the in the thrust washers. So yeah, good so, question. I mean, I have no idea. I, I'll admit <laughs> I usually do put the cup the the cage that way to you know thinking in my head that you know maybe it'll hold the grease in, but. To be honest, I, it probably doesn't really matter. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I have no idea what it actually is. The only thing I can think of is maybe like if the if the force of the spinning head is outward, you want to maybe to keep the balls all equally spaced. Then that way the cage doesn't float a little outwards. I don't know. I think it, I don't think it matters. Anyways, so yeah, you're saying something else there yet? Oh, um. And I kind of actually I go over a little bit of a story in the and one big reason too to do this is you know obviously we hired a um, we do have to charge because we hired somebody to do it and uh, also you know the distribution of doing this it, it won't necessarily be it, we're thinking it could be a download but it's so big that it might be offered in like a DVD or Blu-ray or something too. Oh, that would be cool. That would be very cool. Yeah, I think I think. That- an old guy like me would be able to watch it then. Yeah, I still have a DVD player. I still have a computer with an actual, with an actual disc drive too, so I can do that. I can watch it there as well. So, yeah, That's I think exciting. it's good for for offline viewing. You know, it's good. Yeah. So, Nick, I, I don't know if you want to talk to this, and we we can edit this out. Uh, but I hope you I hope you're okay with this. Can and it and guys and please, people don't don't send hate mail to me, but Nick. <laughs> You said you said that there there was a good possibility of you bringing back the helix blades. Please tell me that that's going to happen. Yes, you know I'm already fucked. Oh, thank God. Yes, I do plan to make those again. I have to be totally honest. The airfoil is incredibly similar to Revo. Really, the really? only the big and yeah, the the tip isn't swept back. But honestly, I don't think that does a whole lot. Interesting. I, I don't really. Oh, I, I mean, I hate to say that there's not a difference. There is. But the guys that feel that it, there's a huge difference, I hate to break it to them. There's not a huge, huge difference. <laughs> but oh, still. Oh, man. But still. No, if, I, if I, like I just want to set because I remember when I got into the hobby, there was a guy that he, he know, he's no longer even lives in Miami. He had a set and he would say that, you know, that was like one of the last sets that he, that that he bought that he was able to get and he protected that those blades to the point where after he was done flying them he would take them off his helicopter and put them in his case like he wouldn't even leave them on the helicopter i'm like so i was like man if i ever get a chance to get a set of those you know uh even though i love my my sponsor and kenny you're you're the man and the short plates are awesome so i'm just covering my ass with this but i really do want to own a set of those just for almost sentimental value because that's one of like the first blades that I saw someone fly that they were like, yes, it was those and then the edges. So, yeah, yeah. Well, we'll make sure you get a set of Helix then. I appreciate it, man. Honestly, uh, dude, I'm going to change the route a little bit. But other than that, 
Cool. And I remember um, Noah flying your um, the your other your other plates, and he loved he loved him so much, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and yeah, he had to fix him if I remember right. <laughs> yeah. He had two sets of them, and he he really did think the the world of them. Cool, and man. I, so, I remember uh, he he was a little nervous when I when he tipped him over and and split the root on or split the tip on one of them. And he goes, Man, "Yeah, I don't know what to do." I said, "We'll just CA it." No, I don't know. I said, "Yes, just do it." <laughs> yeah, you know it's funny. I had the same thing happen to me with a set of rails, and Matt Bodos told me the same thing. He's like, "Dude, just put some CA on it, sand it a bit. If you if you don't want to hear the noise, sand them a bit, but they're they're gonna be good." Yeah. I'm like, are you sure? I was like, yeah, dude. And I had those blades for like three years. Like, and they were like on one of my main birds. So they got properly abused. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> he was, um, he was real, he was real skeptical there for a little bit, but <laughs> he was happy after that. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So, yeah, I think this kind of covers up, covers up for this, uh, this recording. I don't know if anybody, you guys have any more questions. Oh, oh, I've got lots of questions that I could always come up with. But <laughs> changing subject a little bit. Actually, you were talking a little, you know, we mentioned earlier about, uh, you know, with the video as well, related to the video with setup and whatnot. And it, it I asked Bert to, a little bit about this as well, uh, you know, with designing of helicopters as well. And I got a question about that kind of thing. Do you, because we were talking about poor setups and bad builds and whatnot and people you know not doing a very good job on that do you ever take some of that kind of thing in a, into account when you're designing a helicopter as well uh yes absolutely so i am by no means a helicopter designer i've never designed anything start from finish mm -hmm. i have always been very fortunate enough that i've been able to align myself with a company that produces a good helicopter okay and so i tend to do more of the tweaking side I mean, could I sit down and design a whole helicopter in, in SolidWorks? Sure. To me, I think that's a waste of time because there's already so many good options out there. Um, but like the Nick Maxwell Edition Spectre, there's just some little things that over, over the years I've learned. And and yeah, like the, the control geometry change, a lot of that is to do with setup. Not only did it eliminate the, the any differential, so the blades were quieter and, and it also gave a little bit more throw. But because there is no differential, the top and bottom, as long as your servo arms are 90 and your swash plate is level and your blades are zero, your top and bottom collective will automatically be equal then. Mm -hmm. So stuff like that. The, the biggest thing is my influence was more on the gyro side. Okay. So on Fataba, um, I did develop Fataba's control theory for the outside of what's feeding into the PID loops and then also the, the setup menu in the gyro. I did not do the transmitter or anything like that. That's 30 plus years of Fataba's fly bars and yada, 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 but absolutely. So, I mean, as you go to all these fun flies and you see guys saying, well, I know what this parameter says it does, but I didn't feel that when I did it. So I tried to definitely create, things that make sense so like control authority in the 760 is how quickly it reaches the set point mathematically in the background it's the feed forward and some other stuff it kind of it shifts a couple different things to 
make it so if you were to just adjust the feed forward, you would get a, a kind of a nasty behavior. So it adjusts things so that it changes how quickly it gets to your cyclic rate. That that is that kind of what you mean, I guess. Uh, a little bit, I guess. So years ago, and I've talked about this on the podcast already once before. Years ago, I actually had the opportunity to help design uh, or work with a, a designing a, a, a helicopter called the mm-hmm. Yardbird helicopter, and it was me and a buddy that were doing most of it. And I'll be honest, I'm lazy in my builds. I I could definitely be a lot pickier in my builds than I am. And mm-hmm. I know that. I do know that. And that's sort of where I'm, you know, him and him and I used to argue about this because he used to say, well, you got to do a better job in your build. And I'm going, well, okay, I'm not going to deny that I should do a better job in my building. But at the same time, I think sometimes we have to sort of think, okay, not everybody's going to be building it to the absolute perfection all the time there's going to be especially somebody that's first learning and in their first build they might not know that they have to be as picky on certain things as they are because i have learned i you know in in the years that i've been flying i have learned that there are certain things where i do have to be very picky on and have to get it exactly correct and there's other things that i've found and you know for me anyways i'm going doesn't really matter and so that's sort of where i'm wondering because him and i used to argue about this all the time is you know, he's like, well, you just got to get, do better job in your building. And I'm going, yeah, but I don't disagree. But at the same time, not everybody's going to be as picky as you are when you're building. And that's sort of where I wonder whether sometimes even when you're working on a design or tweaking some of that stuff, and you could say the same thing with the fly bars controllers as well. In you know, we've talked about, or there's been talk of default settings in a fly barless controller too, because a lot of times we don't necessarily know how to go and adjust it. And very often our first impression is those default settings too. And so how much of that actually goes towards in the designing and and tweaking and working on that to uh, uh, hopefully accommodate for somebody that either doesn't know how to be quite so picky in their setup or is just plain lazy like me. I completely agree with you. And I think that's from coming from somebody that like, you know, like myself, I fly every day, I crash several, you know, 10 times a year. That's it. It it is not enjoyable to be picky. (laughs) No, it's not. (laughs) It's not enjoyable to sit down and do that. And that, yes. So completely like when, and and I will say the only time, and this is a, a fault of my own, I am more no or uh, more aware of that situation when the design has a chronic problem. Not necessarily. I don't always think of it as, oh, if we just did this, it would be super easy. Like the the uh, I'll just be totally transparent. The, the the Spectre 700. You know, I pulled them out of the box, and when I saw that the tail the set screw was at the orientation it was on that tail hub, I thought, I don't know about this. And I put it on there and the tail buzzed. So I fixed the, I redrilled the tail hubs and put the set screw in the right orientation. And then the tail didn't buzz anymore. So the solution when I was talking to raw was actually at one of the UAV companies I was working for, we had tapered some stuff 
uh, to make it so that the alignment pins for the wings and stuff would go in better. So like these guys in the army could go out there and just plug the wings and they didn't have to like align the wing to make sure the airplane would be in trim. And I said, well, why don't we just start tapering stuff? <laughs> because if you taper it, it doesn't matter how the user builds it. It will go on straight. Interesting. I was actually wondering how that idea came out. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, generally speaking, the more I learned about Morse tapers and stuff, I, I'll be I'll be straight up honest with you. There's going to be a lot of things that are going to be tapered on XL helicopters going forward. <laughs> cool. Nice. Already, let's see. We've already got the tail shaft. We've got the tail shaft and we've got the tail ter- terror push rod. Next is going to be, you know, several other parts. But those kind of things definitely I think about. I am not good at noticing like, stuff that could be easier in terms of like screw count. I know a lot of guys say, oh, this one has a lot of screws. I don't tend to notice that stuff because if if it goes together correctly and I don't have a problem, I don't see that as a problem, but I totally understand the less screws, the quicker it is to maintain. Yeah, that actually was a an observation on mine when I built my V2. Man, there was a lot of small parts and a lot of screws in, on that helicopter. <laughs> and mm-hmm. I'm not saying that it was a bad thing. It was just more of an observation. You know, I'm used to building other helicopters that in my opinion have less and it's like man it just yeah yeah definitely was a lot (laughs) yeah the little the little one point a little two millimeters for the frames and stuff yeah 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 Mm -hmm. but they go to get i guess see that's where i i I as a person probably should pay more attention as someone as a supporting manufacturers i looked at it as well i've never had a frame alignment problem so i guess it's not a Yes, it's not a. I mean, it's not. It's not going to cause a problem. It, yes, it's a little bit more of a burden. You got to put these little screws in when you're building, but the outcome won't be inconsistent. Yeah, yeah, and and the frame did go together perfectly square for me. It was yeah. really quite yeah. nice that way. And in so, the, it's. I mean, every single helicopter has things that are great on it, and every single helicopter has things that are less great on it, right? Too right. Exactly. Exactly. And and this video isn't touching at all on that. So that was one thing I wanted to make sure is I didn't take design into account. It mostly focuses on the stuff like, let's say dampers, for example. I mean, to truly make a perfectly concentric, perfect fitting tight damper that's like absolutely, you know, space grade quality, you can't make those for 1099. Yep. So how do you take two mass produced parts and make them work together. So those are kind of the techniques that, well, I'll just, I'll just give like, I, I actually roll them on the head axle and I index them. So that way, if both of the dampers aren't concentric, if you sit there and roll them, you'll eventually find a spot where they match. Oh. And, and then I oh, put them so on. You take, so you take, you put them, you just put the shaft on them and just roll them? Yeah, just put the shaft on and roll it. And then when the two dampers line up, I know that they're indexed. So I put a Sharpie mark at that point. So that means when I press them into the head, they need to be at that. They, that that line needs to match. So that way everything's straight. But then you have to think about where does the axle sit then? So then if you just take your calipers, you just take, you don't have to have calipers, just something to where you can see a difference. On one of those, if you just find opposing sides where the measurement matches you then know that the axle if you put that 90 degrees to the main shaft that the axle will be directly over the main shaft 
And because we index them, that means that the teeter, so like the, the run out on the blade grips, that won't be out. And you've got these dampers that, I mean, they could be pretty far off, but you've just made them align. So now you don't have to worry about that tolerance. Interesting. Interesting. That is. I never would have thought of something like that. So, yeah, that that's this whole video. That's that's kind of why I wanted to do this. It's, it's stupid little stuff that is like, oh, I knew that. But you you don't really unless you do it every day or, you know, or someone has taught you like I've had some incredible mentors. Nobody nobody learns all this stuff on their own. Right. So, yeah. Uh. Um, and, and in my case, some of those mentors aren't here anymore. So if I can do my job to help pass that on, then this is kind of where that comes from. You know, it's funny that you say it like that because I'm, I, you know, I talk to Dr. Ben a lot, you know, he's kind of like, when I'm, I'm running into an issue or something, he's like, I've gone to two or three people. Let me go ask him because he might not know exactly what I'm, he might not be flying the same machine, but he knows what's happening here. Right. And I'm always telling him, I was like, I was like, Dr. Ben, I mean, you have so much knowledge, man. We got to figure out how to dump that into, into something. And he's like, yeah, you know, let me know. He's, he's one of the guys that I want to bring on the podcast just so I can just pick his brain and, you know, just pick on a, uh, talk to him about it. But yeah, man, that's, that's an awesome thing you're doing. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think, I find I think that, that's yeah, it's one of those things that people are going to run into. I, I've seen the, I, I don't own any, but I've seen the books on helicopter setup and stuff like that. And I forgot who's the guy who did it, but I heard those were pretty important in years before so i'm hoping this will be this this generation yeah i hope so that that would be awesome if it if it helps one person stay in the hobby then it was totally worth it <laughs> oh man that's awesome that's great to hear that is it how long is this video going to be do you expect well i i I literally took the saran wrap off of the kit and did the first two flights on video. So it's oh, wow. 10 hours. <laughs> oh, wow. We now we did skip through. So like if when it came to how I tend to center the servos and the order of which you see, I don't build the helicopter in the order of the manual because you can't get to some of the parts to check the alignment and stuff. If you build it sometimes in the order of the manual, so kind of skipping around some of that stuff we fast forwarded, like, so putting the grease and the where, what parts are important to make sure are free floating and things like that. And the grips, I do one side, I don't do the other side and just have everybody sit there and watch. <laughs> that's yeah. <laughs> that's, but I, the only time I did do that is when I ran into problems. So like, you know, every time you build a helicopter, you run into some sort of problem. So I made sure to highlight like I think on that one particular Spectre I was building, the frames went together like darn near perfect, except like the e one of the ESC tray holes needed filed. So we made sure that we featured that to say, okay, this is why you do this. Because if you sit there and just twist the frame so that this tray fits, you've just twisted your whole bottom frame. Mm -hmm. Oh, man. So we kind of go through and the little stuff like that. And I'll be totally honest, Raw's going to kill me probably, but uh, there's a couple of them that it was like, oh crap, this stuff just went together. So, <laughs> I, um, 
So there was one or two times I just faked some shits on that one. <laughs> um, you make up a problem. Yeah. Because, like, the control balls, when you put them in the swash plate, I've seen guys, you know, the control balls, when they're from the factory, they're not always perfectly round sometimes. and Or the threads may have some burrs on them. So I just take a die. And if I feel any resistance trying or, like, it doesn't feel like it just wants to glide right in with my fingers, basically, if you can't finger tighten something with your fingers, there's something binding or burring or something. Mm-hmm. Like all the control balls on this helicopter were perfect. I was like, crap. <laughs> so a couple of them, I just say, okay, well, this one was right. But if you do run into it, don't freak. Don't call your dealer. Don't call your distributor. This is how you fix this. Interesting. It's not a, it's so, not a defective product. You don't got to post on Facebook about it. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> There's the big pet peeve for any manufacturer, right? They go on to Facebook long before they talk to the manufacturer or the dealer. Yes, yes. Yeah, I, I hope this helps some manufacturers as well. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. That's very cool, though. Nice. Oh, that nice. sounds like a video. I think that's worth watching. Well, yeah, yeah. Sure. We'll, we will make sure you guys get it, and then you can try some of the techniques if you don't already do them. Review them on your thing. Yeah. Yeah, that'll, yeah, that'll thought, be awesome. Uh, yeah, I thought, Darren, you'd be great at that. At, for that. at what? If, at watching the video and checking that out because, like, we've had this conversation before about how, you know, some things take a long time and some things are simple. And so that'd be great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we'll have to, we'll see. I, I'm, I'm definitely curious. I'm kind of, thinking i might have to go and look into buying this video we'll see dude i i, I don't know between between nick and doug darby i think i spent most of my, most of my yearly budget on helicopter tools more than alleys this year <laughs> but i got some my stuff man it's nick's a more conservative one he won't he won't send me to go spend a bunch of money on things doug will doug was like hey, just go buy this dude this is great uh but I do want, I want to know one thing because I've seen Nick use it in the past and I've been, and I need to know where you get this. You have like a miniature, like hand torque wrench for, yes. you got to send me a link to where I can buy one of those, man. I, you're not going to look me if I do. Well, <laughs> you're not going to, I'm not going to like you. <laughs> you oh man. You're going to recant that statement of my tools are a little cheaper. Oh, you're more conservative. Yes, I'm Doug a, bro- I'm a bro- look at- helicopter pilot. I don't. I don't have <laughs> Doug's income. <laughs> Doug sends me to Snap On and you know everything that's that. And I and you, you know before going to architecture school or anything like that, I worked at a car stereo shop, so I definitely knew about spending a lot of money on tools, and I had a pretty good set of tools. So buying some really nice tools is all. It's it's a, it's a hobby within the hobby for me. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely I definitely want that. Uh, to find, uh, get a torque wrench like that one because that thing is nice, man, and it's compact. Yes, that 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 is a snap-on torque wrench. It's three hundred fifty, four hundred dollar torque wrench. But oof, that was a very nice gift for. Actually, believe it or not, that was a Christmas gift. I could not. It is not necessary to go buy that. That was for use of other things as well. But nice. But I will say that is a godsend. <laughs> I've got a, a, a <laughs> flying friend of mine that uh, I fly with regu- fairly regularly who is a Snap-on dealer. I wonder, hmm, maybe I can get a discount somehow. 
Yes. And if you can, and if you can, let me know if you can. If you can, yeah, <laughs> share that discount with us, all right? Because <laughs> yeah, it is. It, it's definitely, and I think that's one thing too. Is I I really try to be careful, specifically with like my Facebook posts and stuff like that. I don't want to tell people that they need this stuff because to a, to a large degree, to some people that's a turnoff. Why? Yeah. Well, wait a second. For to have this, I've got to spend four hundred dollars on a torque wrench. No, no, not at all. You can actually yeah. do this with your eye if you want to. I mean, you can get it close enough with your eye, but if you're doing it every day and you're trying to do it fast on like a repetitive nature, sometimes that stuff helps, and and it ends up paying off in the future. But if you build two helicopters a year and you crash maybe once a year, there's no point in buying that torque wrench. Yeah. You know, that makes me think of something else that I remember hearing from podcasts of old to some, how some of these pros very often just set everything up by the eye anyways. How, how much do you actually measure with a lot of your setups and whatnot? And how much do you actually do by eye? I would say most of it is a jig of some sort. Oh. What do you mean by jig? Like, for example, your your collective pitch. How much, you know, do you actually measure how much pitch you have or do you just do that by eye and by feel? I do for the gyro response, yes. So for that, like, you know how in the V-bar it's 8 degrees and the CGY it's 9 for 700. I do that with a pitch gauge. Okay. Um, But the collective, actually, I don't even eye it. I just make sure it's a zero and then I adjust it in flight. Okay. Um, The jigs and stuff... I use those for consistency, like so swatch level height and stuff like that. And the only reason I do that is because if I, if competition ever does become big again and we're going to lots of competitions, sometimes you may just bring a spare rotor head or spare tail rotor or spare or something like that. And if you had to reset all the neutrals and reset everything up again, it's a pain in the butt. So the only reason I ever did the jigs was so that way if I ever had to go to a different rotor head or go to something else, I could just take one off and plop one on and all the linkages would be right. But in terms of like all those crazy setup tools, like the guys with those things they put on the the, the phase arms and the, all that other stuff, no, I don't use any of that. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I do think there's a lot of stuff that you don't necessarily need to buy a whole lot of expensive tools either. I mean, no. we're guys, we like our gadgets. And so very often we do like to spend money on tools anyways. Frank is a perfect example. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I don't mind at the one. same time, a lot of times we just like for, you know, I've been flying for, I think it's about 16 years, maybe 17 years. And I never actually had any calipers at all until about four years ago when a friend of mine's like, Darren, you got to get some calipers. I'm just going to buy you sets. He bought me a set of calipers and they weren't (laughs) expensive ones, but I'm like, well, I, I figured out a way to get all my links exactly the same length. And then from there, I just adjust it till I get the zero or whatever I'm looking for. Right. Yeah. And I never really felt like I needed calipers. And yet I hear guys, Oh, you have to have those. Well, I don't know. I went for years without them. (laughs) And it's never had yeah. a problem. I don't know, but if if it feels good when once you get like something set up really, really good, you know, I was getting my my head block in line, you know, and I heard Nick talking to somebody about this, and I was like, okay, I gotta get this. 
And it took me the, like the first time it took me a while, but once I got it the right day and it does fly different, man, it flies so much more locked in. It's almost, it's even, it's quieter. Uh, you know, I don't know. And it's just, it doesn't take that long to get them just nice, just the way they should be. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm not saying we shouldn't be, you know, shouldn't be doing better job on our setups and whatnot. I, cause like I say, I'm far too lazy. I was actually, one of the things I was really happy about with my V2 when I maidened it is just how well it just just sat there perfectly without needing to do an auto trim on my V-bar or anything like that. They got the CG just right and everything was just right. And it just sat there nice and level on its own. And I'm going, yes, I actually did a good setup for once. <laughs> I think the big thing, the tools kind of help your speed. If you yep. use the tool, if you use the tools right, you can do it much faster. That makes sense. So I guess it's I guess it's how much you value your time. So if you mm-hmm. pay yourself fifty dollars to spend an hour doing it, when you could spend two hundred dollars on a tool, you'd have to do it what four times to make it go faster. To... <laughs> I you said it earlier. It's the consistency for me. Like like now that I got one like really flying well, I know I can get the other ones to that level because. I know this this trick really does in, improve stuff. Yeah. And so you know, and it's funny because and I think that it also will tell you if, if your if parts are wearing out quickly too, you know, like if I think the more the 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 more quicker you build something or the less time you spent like really fine tuning it, the chances of the parts are gonna wear out quicker than if they were all balanced and everything was like where it should be. Yes, that is very accurate. You definitely protect your investment, specifically electronics-wise. Yeah. Vibration just kills electronics. Really? Okay. Well, like yeah, servo gears. And... Yeah, especially with the no-lead solder that's, you know, so heavily used nowadays that back when I used to work in the electronics industry, no-lead solder was probably one of my biggest... I hate to say causes of failures, but, you know, vibrations with no lead solder, you got a lot more cracks in your electronics all the time. And so, yeah, I can definitely see for vibrations, that would definitely be a lot harder on electronics now. Yeah. And our gyros are kind of sensitive too. Yes, for sure. And that's one of those things that I guess just as a hobbyist, you've got to weigh your, weigh your interest. If you, if you crash every 20 flights, then you're replacing it anyway. So <laughs> yeah yeah for sure is there anything else that we wanted to bring up nick did, um, anything well you i have to bring up oh, i have just one final question and um and this this may be addressed in your video because you have uh you know you you, you go through the headset up pretty pretty nitpickily but i just have one i guess the one big issue that i always seem to have when i build a helicopter is that i have inconsistent measurements with my pitch gauge and Mm -hmm. i've always left it you know as good as i can and i've always thought that it's because i don't have a table that allows me to put the shaft perfectly perpendicular to the to to level which means that when i that when i rotate that thing i don't get a consistent measurement so if i go you know if i if i put my blade you know, parallel to the boom, and I measure, and let's say it's, uh, you know, let's say when it's parallel to boom to the boom, it's zero degrees. 
looking it from the top. And But if it shifts a little bit like one or two degrees to the right or to the left, then I get a completely different measurement and it's no longer zero, zero degrees. So I, I've always attributed that to the fact that, you know, I don't have that that tool or that table to be able to measure it. So as I go around, it's not, it, you know, it always measures at different heights. So it's always giving me a different measurement. And I've always battled with that. And I've, you know, I've flown for, for you know, a few years now. And I've always left it as, as is, but it's always bothered me. And I'm sure you addressed it with your in your video and you go into length on to how to measure everything. But I just wanted to basically get, get your opinion about this famous Soko tool, because that's supposedly that thing will mathematically offset, you know, it takes different measurements and it will offset your uh, your shaft so that it, it has, uh, uh, you know, mathematically tells you how, how, um, how much of an incline you have. And then it corrects that so that you have a virtual, perfectly perpendicular shaft and it'll allow you to measure the same even if you rotate the head, which would, uh, would would eliminate my issue. But I just wanted to, you know, to gauge your opinion on that, if that is actually a tool that might help with that, or if there's just a whole bunch of other things that come into play that might affect that measurement that, you know, I should probably just forget about that and use other types of tools to, to, to get rid of other issues that might be causing this. So I guess... Do you mean that if you go, so if you start at zero and then you give right aileron and then you go back to zero, it's not zero again? Or do you mean that there's like a difference between right and left that you can never get out? Uh, no, no. What I mean is what I, what I do is that, you know, I take my pitch gauge and I put it on the top of the motor can and I set it to zero. Then I put it on the blade and then I just adjust my links until I get a zero there. So I've got a zero, right? Mm-hmm. And and the and the, the the blades are parallel to the boom. So let's say if I rotate by hand the 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 blades and I just rotate them just a little bit to the left or to the right, then I won't have a zero anymore on the pitch gauge. I'll get a one or a minus two or a minus three or whatever or a one two three. So it won't be the same measurement if I rotate the head. You know, if I rotate the blades while the pitch mm-hmm. gauge is attached, it will not give me the same measurement, you know, along the travel of, of the blades. So so I don't have zero everywhere as I rotate the head, you know, oh. with the blades not moving, with the blades at zero pitch. So the zero pitch will be different on, on a different measurement. And my problem is that, you know, my problem is mainly blade tracking, of course, because if I if I put one blade perfectly fine, when I rotate the head to measure the other blade, then I will not hit, you know, exactly the same place where I measured last time. So I won't get exactly the same the same measurement. So I'll my blade tracking will be off. So that's that's my problem. So I don't know, and I've never known how to fix that. I'm I've just left left it as is, and I've tried to you know pull the blades back, fold the blades back, and just. Tweak, tweak, tweak it until I get them. You know, ma- when when I see that they're perfectly tracking, you know, at least to my eyes, that they're that they're tracking the best. But I've always wanted to have like a way to measure it and you know not screw it up. And I just wanted to know if you know the soco was a good solution or if there's another way to make sure that you have uh, that you accurately measure zero pitch, basically. 
Yeah. Um, so, okay. So first of all, now I understand with your description. Yes. Unless your helicopter is ex- exactly if all axes are perfect, perfectly vertical or in line with, with however you zeroed it, you're going to see that as you rotate it around. If the SoCo tool, so I'm not sh- sure how they, obviously I have no idea how they do it. Yes, I do believe you could do the math to do that, though, because with the inclinometer, if you use sine cosine as you rotate it around, you could calculate and have like a virtual vertical shaft. That's actually kind of what Pyrocom does um, in in a fly machine is sine cosine based off rotation. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. Yes, I believe if that tool has that in there, for sure that could work. However, what I will tell you is that that doesn't matter. So if, say, you used a swash leveler to get your swash plate level, you will only ever need to measure your rotor blade at one position because, obviously, that's a fixed point. So if your swash plate's level based off the swash plate leveler, and then you put your linkage on and you zero your inclinometer to the motor, you only need to measure both blades at that same exact point. So you don't need to worry about rotating around to find zero. Correct, correct. But my problem is that I have to measure two blades on the same spot. Oh, so, you're saying it's hard to get it consistent. Correct, correct. That's my problem. When I, when I, I can do the first, the first blade perfectly, but yeah. when I rotate the, the 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 rotor to measure the other blade, then I you know it's very very difficult, if not impossible, to hit the same exact spot that I did on the other blade, which uh. will throw my measurement off. And and I've always battled with that ever since I started in the hobby and started getting you know building my kits. And supposedly, the Soko what it does is does that you know it takes measurements all along the rotation and then it mm-hmm. gives you a virtual shaft. So, yeah. so, so in theory, that's that's what it does. But I don't know if there was another way to do it, or if I shouldn't really be worrying too much about it. You know what I mean? I just kind of, kind of, you know, wanted to to gauge your thoughts on that. So, yeah, I agree. It's in my mind, it's absolutely impossible to try to do that, <laughs> um, unless you made some sort of jig to hold the blade so that it's perfectly straight, so it's not feathered at all. So, like the lead and leg of the blade is exactly the same in the blade grip as well as some jig to hold the swashplate ball exactly on the back of the swashplate or something like that. So what I always do is I only check one blade and I put a dot of, and I go over this in the video too, just to full length. I just do the one blade and then put a dot on it with like some nail polish or put a Sharpie mark on it. And then that's my master. So any blade tracking that I need to do, I just do it to the, to the blade that's not the master because I know that that blade is always flying at zero degrees because you've already checked that one and you've set that one. Then it really doesn't matter what you do to the other blade. If you adjust that one to get it tracked. Oh, okay. So you do So you actually, you know, just measure one and then just go out and uh, fly and check the blades tracking and adjust the other blade to make sure that it, that it tracks correctly. Yeah. You so I you don't like, the, yeah, I just eyeball the second one. <laughs> I just okay. I try to get it. Yeah, I look usually down the mold line of the blade because that's most generally the the center of the blade. 
and I just turn the head around a couple times and eyeball it, get it close. And the reality of it is there's so much slop. There's so much tolerance. Like the thing that, that Frank um, is working on now with the dial indicator, you may have your blades perfectly at zero degrees, but if your static tracking is off, the blades won't track. So if your head block is at all crooked or you have any run out in the head, which you do, perfection is impossible. Okay. You've got to compensate for that with a dissymmetry of lift because otherwise your blades will be out of track anyway. They're spinning at two different planes, right? If your head axle is a little crooked or your head block. So you've got to compensate right. for that anyway. Okay. Okay. Got it. Very got it. rarely. It would shock me if you take a pitch gauge and you found a way to, to absolutely make both sides perfectly zero and you took off and those blades were actually dead nuts tracking. It would surprise me. There's too much other variables in the alignment of things. I mean, they, they may look close. They get you close. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I don't, I don't think you have to worry too much about that. Just set it to where it's close and then go out and manually track that, that one that's not the master to match the master. And then you know that your pitch range is equal. Everything's correct anyway. Okay. All right. All right. You know that what? helps. That actually brings up another question then, though, too. Like, Javier, you're going to be, I think you're hoping with your KSE to do that as a three blade. When you're, because yeah. I do the same method for tracking my blades. I put it a little sharpie, little dot like that. How much, mm-hmm. how do you do that with three blades then, too? Because now you got, you're still sort of guessing as to which one might be out of track. Then you put, if you have one set to your master. And then you've got two others that you have to sort of figure out which one is going to be. Then do you have to go do the old blade tracking with the tape then or what? Yeah, that's what I always did with three blade. Okay. Um, obviously, you can get it as close as you can mm-hmm. with, with the pitch gauge. You can get it as close as you can by eye. You can whatever way you try to get them all matched. But you're always you're always going to run into the problem where you might need to track them. And three blades, that's definitely a pain in the butt with those as you <laughs> You gotta just throw tape on one of them. I actually had a, a MD five hundred scale helicopter with a five blade head on it, and oh I my actually, lord, I was lucky. I couldn't believe it. I got it almost pretty much bang on tracked right off the bat, and I couldn't believe it. I was not expecting that. Yeah, that's <laughs> I got luck. so lucky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that that's yeah. I think that's one of those things that. Like I said, unless, you know, the manufacturers were building these things to go to space or something, I think that there's so many little variables that you could drive yourself nuts sitting on the bench. Well, and I guess that's sort of where I was going back with some of my being lazy on some of my setup too, right? Is there has to be a limit to how detail-oriented we need to be sometimes. Because I've seen some guys complain, well, it's 0.1 degrees out. How do I fix that? And I'm like, yeah, it doesn't really matter. You know, it's a toy helicopter. Go out and fly it. Yeah. So nothing is perfect. If you ask a good machinist, did you make a perfect part? They're going to tell you no. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, you, you and I think that comes with experience. So you learn what is tolerable. Like I know Frank, you've got this dial indicator now, and when you start checking everything. your yeah, everything. <laughs> everything, dude. I am putting it on everything. I'm gonna get this <laughs> shit perfect. <laughs> You're gonna drive yourself nuts. Oh, dude, no, dude. I I geek out on this stuff. It's it's funny, you know. Like Nick, you know I'm an architect, dude. I. On certain details, dude, I'll spend 
weeks working on it on one detail just to get it that perfect. Yeah, you know, and I completely geek out on this stuff. So to me, it's very interesting. But it, it's it's one of those things that you see you see the rewards very clearly after you do it, though. So that's what interests me even more. Right, right. But I think leading to to the the reality of there there is a you get to a certain point where you can't it, say for example on a clutch stack of an engine if you get the clutch and the fan and everything running to within like a thousandth of an inch you aren't probably going to be able to tell a difference if it's under a thousandth okay there's a point of diminishing return yeah exactly yeah yeah your return on investment yeah. it's not a it, it's an exponential curve <laughs> <laughs> you know, you just shattered my dream there, Nick. You know, I was preparing <laughs> to like dollar indicate everything. You know, I was looking at you know, I'm 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 replacing I'm put the the fan housing and not the um yeah the fan housing on my on my nitro. I was like, man, I'm gonna put a dollar indicator there, make sure that thing is just nuts. But yeah, thank you for ruining my uh, my dream there, Nick. Well, no, I think that should be good. If you're, if you're like, you know, with if you're within those ranges of where, okay, this is, this is good enough, then you know that when you take it off, it'll just be smooth as glass. Yeah, that's true. Yep. If if you spend the time to get the stuff really, really close like that, I mean, I do think to a large degree too, a lot of this stuff flexes in flight, so it. most of the helicopters out there nowadays are so good that they stay within the tolerances. But if you go out there and do like a crazy smack flight after you aligned your head block, it's not going to be off by like three or four thousands like it might have been originally, but it probably shifted a little bit. Yeah. And that makes sense, honestly. Yeah. I mean, unless you're, I mean, and I, and I have told people this before. It, over the years on different helicopters, I've JB welded the head block to the, to the main shaft to try to keep stuff from moving. Dude, I've, 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 I heard that too from, from minor. He told me the same thing. And I'm like, man, that seems like, that seems like excessive, but I, I guess not anymore. It makes sense because, you know, you got, you could have something that's disbalanced or, you know, the, something happened to the blade or something where things are just not wrong. And then you fly it and it just, it wears your machine out even faster. So I would think that that right there, that, JB Roman, the head block would just make it that uh, that solid, you know that that just extra level. Of it hair. it does it does, but most stuff these days that's not required. Okay. The stuff is so good these days, like the XL one. If you just if you clamp it down and you pinch it real tight, mm-hmm. you know it's gonna stay. It might move a little bit um, over time. It might creep just yeah. a little bit. It's gonna but it'll stay within a range where you're not going to see the effect probably. Yeah, that's true. If you can get it perfect, you can keep it there. Then I'm coming to your place. You can teach me what to do. (laughs) No, man, (laughs) you're welcome anytime, but I don't think I'm going to teach you anything about helicopters that you don't already know. (laughs) Oh, no, we, everybody learns from, everybody can learn something from everybody. That is one thing that I love about the hobby. There is not one person out there that really has a clue. I have a feeling. I think it's kind of like um, uh, with helicopters, it's it's pretty endless. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. It's, you know, the guys that are, that are that get out within a year or two of being a hobbyist, they, 
I always feel like they didn't really get to experience a lot of the fun that happens when you're in it for a little, when you're a lot, when you've been around for on it, doing it for, for more than three or four years, because you just learn all these, these things that really like open your mind to like, you know, improving flying, improving your build, you know, just having your machines last year a long time. So, mm -hmm. uh, it's exciting to me. It's always a lot of fun. That's the that's the fun part about the hobby. It's a toy helicopter. You can change whatever the heck you want on it. You go out if that's you have an true. idea. Yeah, if you have an idea, try it. I mean, obviously, if it's something structural, move it out a little bit. But, um, <laughs> but you know, try it. Worst case, you got to buy a set of blades. Yeah. You know that makes me think of, and I know we've got the, we're running long on time here today, but it does make me think too. Like, how many years have you been in the hobby, Nick? Uh, since 98 so. start started flying helicopters in 98 now i did not start doing any of my own maintenance or really much building until probably that's actually part of why i wanted to do this video is because i got my butt kicked at the first competitions that i went to because my stuff didn't make it through the freaking flights like i didn't make it through the competition holy and so somebody uh, a really good friend of mine sat down and said if you ever want to win you have to make it to the end. So I'm going to show you how to build. <laughs> so I didn't really learn how any, I didn't start having an interest in learning how stuff worked until probably about 2010. Okay. I, I ask more for a slightly different reason. That is how do you actually stay, keep your enjoyment in the hobby, especially as somebody that also works in the industry. Like I asked Bert the similar question too because I'm always amazed at how people can take something that they have as a hobby and actually turn it into a career and stick with it. And so I guess my question is how do you stick with it when it's a job as well as a, as a hobby? Uh, I mean, if you enjoy what you do, you never work a day in your life. <laughs> that That's awesome. That's, uh, but does yeah, like, does yeah. it ever feel like you never never get a chance to get away from work? A little bit. I mean, ask my mom; she'll probably give you more of the realistic answer. Um, <laughs> uh, I, no, I have definitely my life very much revolves around helicopters. But I also have a very separate life from helicopters, where I think that can. I have my friends that don't do helicopters or that don't have anything to do with it. Kind of like say, I say I were to be married and have kids, you know, that would be the same distraction. I've got friends that I go out and do car stuff with or ride dirt bikes or something like that. So that's kind of my break. Okay. But the other thing is it is a job, but I mean, having had a desk job, I really can't see how, you could get burnout. And and if I do feel like I'm getting burnout, like say I'm getting frustrated because I've hit a plateau when it comes to actual flying, I do take a break and I just do something else. Mm -hmm. And usually you end up coming, you take a break, you end up coming back stronger, but also in the hobby industry to make a living, you got to wear several hats. Um, you know, obviously for my business, it's a very small business. So I don't have, you know, anyone to do anything so if if i i'm the shipping guy i'm the designer i'm the <laughs> you know so there's so many different things that you shift around 
start getting burnt out, a couple orders came in. Let's go do some shipping. <laughs> yeah. I, I used the example last time, you know, I'm, I'm a ham radio operator as mm-hmm. well and i actually used to work in the commercial two-way radio industry and it just for me at that time it just felt like i was radio at work radio at home radio at work radio at home and it just felt like i just couldn't ever get away from it and that's that's the reason why i ask a question like this is and and why i am always very impressed and appreciative of, of guys like you that have taken something that is as a hobby and turned it into a career because I sort of wonder, it's like, okay, how do you actually still stick with it and still enjoy flying as well? Mm-hmm. Being very transparent, I think it comes down to what is making you the money. I have never, ever relied on the competitions or that kind of stuff to pay my bills. So to me, I always make sure that the development development or marketing work that's not related to performance is what pays my mortgage. Mm-hmm. And then when I go to the competitions, that's for me. So the, the, the comp, the, the practice and that kind of stuff is not, I don't feel the pressure of, Oh, I've got to win this competition because it's a thousand dollars prize money mm-hmm. i always make sure that i don't put myself in that position to where i'm using that to and i guess that's kind of a very personal financial thing but i think that's what kind of keeps the f- fun in it at the like at the urchel battle of the brands every year you know now they've put a cash prize of a thousand dollars when i went into urcha i never thought oh i want to win that competition and get that thousand dollars that yeah. was never the <laughs> <laughs> thousand bucks isn't going to pay all the bills anyways. Well, yeah, but I mean, it's, it's a good example of, oh, I, you know, I don't need that thousand dollars to pay for my rental car to get here. That's yeah. not the. Yeah. Uh, so I think that kind of keeps it fun because there's really no. Op- I've never I've also and I know some sponsored pilots say that this is different, so I, I can't speak for everybody. I've been very fortunate. All of the people that I've ever worked with have never put any sort of weird pressure to do anything like that. I just would never align myself with a company or something that does that. So I've never had somebody be like, you need to make four Facebook posts in a week or you need to do. I've I've never had. It's more of a natural thing. So Mm -hmm. there's been no one to take the fun out of it, maybe. (laughs) I have noticed an increase in your Facebook posts, though. Yeah, yeah. I've, I I have finally embraced that uh, you can't just get information out by going to Funflies anymore. Um, that used to be the way you do it. Yeah. And I just recently, you're, you're never going to be able to get rid of me. I just finally got an iPhone 14. I had an iPhone 10, so I never posted videos because the videos look like I lived in like a salt flat or something with grain all through everything. But now that I've got this new phone, now you're going to see probably more videos. Cool. And the battery lasts longer than an hour and a half. So that's it. Is, that is true. <laughs> my wife's got the 14, so that means I get her 13. So, you know, that's how it works at my at Mordeo's household. So, yeah, I'm excited for it. it. It is pretty cool. I now understand how these people are doing this stuff with just an iPhone because, like, all the different modes and stuff that were not in the previous ones. Right. Or in 
you know, not the more recent ones. Well, have we got nice. anything else we wanted to bring up? No, but yeah, no, we're good. I think we're good. Uh, I think this was a very good one, a very good episode. So, uh, well, I guess it's uh, time to say our goodbyes. So, first of all, thank you, Nick, for being with us again. Yeah, it's uh, yes. it's always being a pleasure speaking with you. You know, just to, I mean, I can actually prove it because you know we usually run about an hour, an hour and twenty minutes on the show, and we're like like in two hours. So, and I'm feel I feel like we could just go on and on and on and on because of all the knowledge and how easy it is uh, you know to talk to you and to uh, just go with a conversational flow so um, really appreciate it Nick for being on the show with us thank you very much for sharing your experiences and uh, and your knowledge and uh, for sure you know that you are always welcome uh, back uh, with here with us well thank you guys very much and it's awesome what you guys do to to create content and stuff for hobbyists to enjoy and listen to and stuff like that so awesome yeah, thank you very much. So uh, I guess that's it for today. So thank you very much. And uh, we'll see you next time. Yeah. See you guys. and outtakes bloopers and outtakes and there was much rejoicing yeah we hear you frank can you hear me now uh, yes we can hear you i can hear you we can hear you that's awesome. are you sure about that we can hear you are you sure about that i'm not sure can you hear me <laughs> yep all right stop screwing with me no, we can hear you. Good, good, good. Make me sound good, okay? It's important, all right? Doing what I can. What did you think? Did it sound okay? Did you listen to it? I don't, I don't, I can't listen to my own podcast, dude. I'm tired. I kept clicking the recording part, but I guess that was because Craig was recording. Yeah, you were, we are being recorded right now. <laughs> There's someone always watching. <laughs> Big brother. <laughs> the big brother's always watching. Well, then. Okay, so everyone ready? No. 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 The the weird Canadian is not ready. Uh, but he's never going to be ready, so you might as well just start. And All right. Music. And that's it. All right. All right. Music fade out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>